0: There were a lot of people doing you know, laparoscopies or surgeries for fertility because the alternative was the patient had to leave the country and get IVF. And now that I'm on an island and I've talked with a lot of them, they're like, Oh, thank goodness, we no longer have to kind of do these other options that really aren't first line anymore. And we know they're not first line, but we, we were kind of in a bind where this was what was readily available to us and, and the most cost-effective approach for the patient.
1: Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here, you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patients, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones.
2: Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by Dr. Joseph Davis. Dr. Davis is a member of the Resolve Physician Council. He's an advocate for early public education and fertility preservation options for women. He's practiced in New York City as well as elsewhere in the United States. He now practices in the Cayman Islands in order to offer patients high-quality care in a region of that world that has very few fertility specialists. Among other things, Dr. Davis has become a member of the guideline development group for the World Health Organization. He's worked for human rights and ethics guidelines for infertility and was a part of the group that expanded the definition of infertility to be inclusive of sexual orientation and to be more gender-fluid. Dr. Davis still serves on the ASRM Ethics Committee, and he's a member of SREI and ACOG. And I want to find out what more he's been up to across the international community. Dr. Davis, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Great, and thanks
0: very much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
2: It's good to have you, Joe. I've known you since for a few years now, and you're in a unique position where you've gotten to see how medicine is practiced in a lot of different places in the United States and in elsewhere in the world. And I want to unpack that some more, but kind of talk to us about how one decides to practice in the Cayman Islands. Because when I'm talking to people leaving fellowship, for example, I don't even think that's something that occurs to them that they could do. And for those docs that are in practices in the United States, I I don't know if it's ever occurred to them that they could do that either. So how did you get to open up your practice
0: in the Cayman Islands and what was that journey like? Sure. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I think that, I mean, global health and sort of uh, policy, global health policy is something that's always been of interest to me. And I, I struggled a bit in training to find... How to make that mesh with conventional American education and a lot of the training these days. And I know this also working when I was in my practice in New York, working with fellows directly that were in our group. They would ask about, you know, oh, I'm really interested in the global health aspect or the policy and advocacy aspect. How can I incorporate that? Because it's not really part of our training. So it's definitely a piece that's not really taught or or a a major component, at least, of most fellowship programs. Um, Even in residency, in OBGYN residency, before Reproductive Endocrine Fellowship, global health takes on this sort of place where you may go spend a few weeks or a month in another country, generally in a you know, part of the world that has um, really limited access to any kind of healthcare, And maybe you work in labor and delivery, or you do surgeries, or you provide some sort of short-term band-aid to an area. And to me, that was, I mean, that's really noble and great, but it wasn't really what excited me. What really excited me was saying, how can we improve healthcare globally? How can we really change things? And as coming out of fellowship, I was fortunate to be in an academic program that was supportive of that. And my first job outside of fellowship was in Wisconsin at Medical College. Wisconsin, and they really opened up the option to say, you know, we want to support academic endeavors. And I reached out with uh, some colleagues at World Health Organization, and there was a need there for someone to bring more experience—not just to the reproductive medicine side of it, but also to the ethics side of it. And I was involved in the ASRM Ethics Committee at the time, as as, as I am currently. And so it was a wonderful way to, to bring all these pieces together to say, how can we address the unmet need for fertility care globally? How does it differ in different parts of the world? What are the ethical concerns and considerations and, you know, what do we as providers, how can we give back to the different societies in different areas around the world? And, and that was such an eye-opening experience that I, I knew I'd always wanted to explore the practical side of it, you know, and bringing care to places that don't have access as, you know, infertility tends to find this unique position in the world where because of the technology and the advancements and the cost associated with it, oftentimes in vitro fertilization is relegated to areas of the world that are either already have robust medical systems and it's sort of hard to find that place in these areas that are really underserved to to make that fit. So one of the aspects that I wanted to bring was to say, well, I want to bring the same quality of care that we provide in New York City or in Michigan or Wisconsin or wherever, but bring it to a country that doesn't have access where people are, uh, by by virtue of the lack of care in their area, having to travel long distances or spend money to go cross-border in order to get IVF care or fertility care as a whole. And really, Grand Cayman was a perfect fit for that because it's a country that has really great healthcare. It's got a lot of experts and specialists that travel down, many of which may travel down for a month at a time and then go back to their respective homes in New York or, or Miami or wherever. But they're also amazingly great quality providers on island that live there. And the hospital systems are very good. But what they didn't have was anybody who specialized in reproductive medicine and they and had not had IVF or, or fertility treatments locally. So it, it actually ended up being a way to bring the quality to an infrastructure that was already ready to support it to a part of the world where the Northern Caribbean is really has a huge void of of reproductive care
2: in the United States. I volunteer for Big Brothers Big Sisters, which most people are familiar with, but I also volunteer with an organization called Investors Pequenos Hermanos, which is a network of orphanages for orphaned and abandoned kids, and we have nine homes in Latin America and the Caribbean. When I went for the first time to do my long uh, term volunteer term. Some people said to me, "Why are you going abroad to help children in poverty and need? You're in big brothers, big sisters. there are children who are in poverty and need here. Why leave these children to go help others And I imagine the same speculation you might have come across of we've got access to care issues here why go abroad and not work on the access to care issues in the United States.
0: Absolutely and and you know it's it's a question I've gotten but it's also one that I've I've you know personally sort of struggled and toiled with is and I felt that even going to the World Health Organization, it's overwhelming the amount of need that there is all over the world and in so many different places and in so many different capacities that it's easy to almost get paralyzed with the idea of like, wow, there's so much to be done and there's so many places that need it. I'm just going to give up. I can't even find a place. So I kind of, I guess, came to a realization that, you know what, you just have to find a place that you feel you're going to do the most benefit and be able to to actually make a difference and that's going to mean there are other places that aren't going to get that quality. But but as long as we're doing something, as long as we as providers are, are making that effort, even if it's in a small portion, then that's good. And for me, you know, I mean, Grand Cayman was a great opportunity, not only because the country itself doesn't have fertility care or IVF, but many of the surrounding countries and areas that were able to get there fairly inexpensively didn't either. And so for the people of Grand Cayman, they would automatically be socioeconomically and economically separated by those who had the resources to leave the island to get care in the US, which also is a much more expensive system than a lot of countries outside uh, and the immediate outside areas. And then those that were on island just either couldn't get care or, or just couldn't afford to get it. So that really resonated a lot with me. But it also has the opposite effect too, is that I'm finding in a place like that where we can manage costs and we can get the same quality care you have in the US but for a much more manageable price, even with people from the US where they may not have insurance coverage as is the big problem in a lot of states in the US, they for you know for a modest amount of money can travel down to Cayman, get high quality care and ultimately be even less money than they would have spent if they paid out of pocket locally. So. It still does have that effect of increasing access to care for people in the U.S. It's just kind of a reverse of what you would typically think, where instead of bringing the care into the communities in the U.S. and knowing that the care that you're bringing is going to be possibly economically out of reach for many of the local people to say, well, how can I bring good quality care to a place where I can also keep costs under control so that the local people get the care and the people that aren't quite local can still get more affordable care even by coming if they have to travel. So it's, it's an interesting sort of solution in my mind, and, and it's actually seeming to work really well.
2: How does serving those two groups work in tandem? Do you have folks in the islands or neighboring islands who need care? you have folks that are coming from the United States who might come cost or simply because the Cayman Islands is a very comfortable place if you have to go through something as stressful as fertility treatment. And to your point, if you could also do it for the same or less than you could at home, that's essentially a vacation in which you have that you might not have been able to take or to pay for otherwise. But how do those two, how do you serve both groups at the same time? Does one group have to subsidize the other? Does one group end up just by nature of the growth of the practice end up serving one
0: more than the other? No, it's a a great question. And, And I don't feel that there is that sort of, you know, one feeds for the other, one pays for the other kind of idea. But you're right. They're two different sort of experiences. You know, the patients that are local that Otherwise would have spent a lot of money traveling off island and not just for the travel cost, but for the, the higher cost of care coming to some of the major cities that, you know, where, where cost of care is more expensive now have the ability not only to stay local and, and not spend that money or save that money. They also have the ability to sort of, you know, take a little bit less time off work so they can manage their, their personal lives. The flip side of that is, and I saw this a lot in New York, was patients would come in and they would be, okay, you know, we're we're going to do the IVF, this is great, but they work extremely stressful jobs. It takes a lot of their time, you know, early mornings to late evenings. And to come in for an ultrasound or an egg retrieval or, or even an insemination meant, taking time out of their day taking time off work and for a lot of people it was it wasn't always just about the time and the cost but it was also about privacy and it was about you know not feeling like they were in a place in their career where they could openly talk about their family building needs there's and this is one of the huge societal differences that I've seen being all over the world and practicing in different places is you know there's a lot of this sort of mindset in major urban centers in the US that your career comes first and and you have to really focus on that and family building is really sort of not as well regarded as it may be in other parts of the country and that's a gross generalization of course but what I found was that was a stressor. You know, for a lot of patients, they'd be like, gosh, I really want to have kids, but like I'm I am can I'm not comfortable telling my boss that I'm gonna have to miss these meetings every other day for an ultrasound or I have to take a day off for an egg retrieval. And and what they would do is say, you know, I'm just gonna take the week off and, and blow my vacation sitting at home because I've got some ultrasound appointments to go to. And that adds stress. And at the end of the year, they have no vacation left and they've spent it all, you know, staying at home. One of the sort of nice things about the affordability and the accessibility in Cayman is that patients can say, "Look, I'm going to take the same amount of money I would have spent. Now I can go on vacation, a proper vacation. Nobody, if I don't want to share that information with my, my boss about what I'm doing, just you know that I'm going away and taking my vacation that I've, I've earned. They can maintain that privacy. They can actually de-stress. They don't have to have that runaround of you know trying to duck out for a meeting or, or an ultrasound appointment." And it ultimately gives them sort of a better sense of well-being. And we all know, you know, the, the adage of, oh, just go take a vacation, you'll get pregnant. That's not true. But that doesn't say the benefit of stress reduction of being on vacation during your fertility treatments, there, there may be some benefit there as well, if for no other reason, just for mental well-being.
2: This is almost the flip of a conversation we had on an earlier episode with Lori Whelan from HRC, where we were talking about... International patients coming to the US, typically for family balancing, sex selection, and donor egg. Now we're talking about for access to care reasons, in some cases, maybe affordability, in other cases privacy. US patients going to going abroad for treatment. So I'm interested to explore some of the logistics behind this because I think it could also help some of the people that are serving populations in rural areas. We have, we have fertility specialists listening to the show that serve patients that have to drive eight hours to see them. And so when someone comes to see you, do you have partners in the United States in select cities that are doing monitoring and doing any types of FSA tests or AMI tests and doing that before they come? How do you connect with other folks so that the time in the Caribbean can be as little as possible?
0: sure it's been my experience and i'm i'm assuming that i'm speaking for many fertility providers in the us is that we've always sort of had this understanding that if patients were traveling to our city or to their city and they're in the midst of a cycle then they would be able to go in and get that care that you know they would be able to get their ultrasound or their blood work done even if they were there for a few days for a meeting and, and you know i know this when i was in new york i would have patients that would oh i've got to go to la for a few days I'll check in with an IVS center there to get my ultrasound, to get my blood work, and that way, you know, it's their their cycle isn't disrupted. And it's always sort of been one of those understandings that if patients needed it, they could reach out to those practices. And without a proper written agreement or contract, same kind of holds for this, you know. And and I've I've been on both sides of it. I've had patients that. We're not our practice patient, but we're traveling through the area and said, you know, I'm really in the middle of my IVF of cyclone, need an ultrasound. And, you know, we, we take care of that for them. We send the results off to their doctor. With, you know, patients in the U.S. seeing me in Cayman, I mean, it, it's virtually identical. We we have them either do their baseline testing with their gynecologist or with a fertility center if there's one nearby. Many patients also that are looking, to, to, looking outside of the box or outside of the area of fertility treatment may have already... Dabbled in their local resources, and either they've had benefits that they've exhausted, or they've, you know, found that they don't have coverage, and the costs are expensive. So they may already have a relationship with a local RE, and for whatever reason, they're they're not continuing care there. And so some patients will, they'll do that. They'll see their local RE and say, look, I need this AMH done. I need an ultrasound. Can you get me the results and send them off? And and it's sort of a fee for service kind of idea. But then, yeah, what the goal is, of course, is that they will be able to travel down when they're getting closer and closer to their egg retrieval time to minimize the amount of needed time away or vacation time that they have to spend. Because not everyone has a lot of vacation time in their job or their career, but we want them to be able to come down at a time so that we can properly monitor them prior to the egg retrieval perform the egg retrieval safely monitor them after and of course if they're you know a PGT cycle and they uh, need to do a frozen embryo transfer then you know they can come back for a, a shorter visit for the transfer because it's you know less monitoring involved in the days prior to it so all of that we coordinate but a lot of patients find that even their local OBGYN or their primary care even sometimes can get their blood work so their ultrasounds started prior to them beginning their medications
2: how often do they have to come down prior to egg retrieval? Is it a few days?
0: Yeah, generally, it's what we do is we bring them down after one week of injections. So basically, you know, six or seven days worth of medications and then they fly down and most people then are ready within, you know, a few days to be triggered for the egg retrieval. So they may be there, you know, one or two ultrasounds before the egg retrieval. Maybe even they show up and they're they're about ready for trigger in a day and, you know, the, the egg retrieval is a couple of days later. So oftentimes, I'd say most people stay for roughly seven days, maybe about a week, plus or minus a few days. If they're planning a fresh transfer, which a lot of people, when they start looking at traveling for IVF, they they start looking into fresh transfers depending on how, you know, the the travel and their time and so forth, it may be easier to do it all in one as opposed to coming back for a you know a frozen embryo transfer. And that's another phenomenon that I've sort of seen more and more with with those that travel for their fertility care is trying to kind of get everything done in one shot. So those patients may stay a bit longer if they're planning to do a day five transfer, you know, plus the retrieval. They may be here for ten days or twelve days even.
2: Do you find that you're doing more fresh transfers than you otherwise would have in the United States because it for someone else it would be a second trip to come back for their transfer if it wasn't
0: it definitely it's I mean it's one of those things where I I, I came from a practice in New York where almost all of our patients were PGT frozen embryo transfer cycles so. Anything different from that is going to seem a bit more you know, uh, unbalanced, I would say. But but in reality, I'd say it's about fifty-fifty. Uh, you know, half the patients are interested in PGT for many different reasons. You know, they're they're older, they have a good AMH, so they know they're going to have a lot of embryos, and they want to find the best selection. Others may be younger, and they have you know really good fertility, just that maybe they have the tubal occlusion so they're they're fine with a fresh transfer because you know we're, we're going to select a single best embryo and and it's you know if it doesn't work they they can come back for the frozen later so it, it it's a lot more I would say I found it's a lot more diverse in the reasons that people come to us than than it may be in certain, you know, isolated areas where a lot of your patients are directly local and they tend to, to cluster in either, you know, a lot of diminished ovarian reserve or a lot of you know ovulatory problems. So it's it's a much more sort of dynamic group of patients. And so you know, we keep those options open and discuss all probabilities and pros and cons to it.
3: Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person person before you put out an RFP or look for services before you get your house in order, because by definition, this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world, and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned, and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, Practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly, and they stress their teams, and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now, back to Inside Reproductive Health.
2: We have a lot of fertility specialists that may want to court international patients. We have some from small markets that want to attract patients from the large, expensive market that is six hours away. A question that they often deal with is, well, how much of a travel agent do I have to become? And in your case, is it something that you found that your practice working with hotel partners, flight partners, any other types of restaurants or excursions to make it a uh, one singular package or at least one place where people can choose from options what have you done
0: so we offer all of the above we found that and again i i've always practiced medicine with the idea of I'm going to put my place myself in the place of the patient and say you know what is it that I would expect and what is it that would help me and how can this journey be a little bit more manageable and for me I've traveled all over the world and know that you know there's something about finding your way and exploring and creating everything uh, anew but there's also something about saying look if I'm going to go through healthcare in another country There's going to be some differences that maybe I want to be prepared for, and if I can in any way sort of help smooth that over, that's just going to make the experience more positive. So we offer both. We've you know we have obviously the the cycle itself and the procedures and that sort of cost structure. We also have arranged deals with hotels and and rental cars, and uh, we even have a. You know, uh, there's a service and came in to expedite customs. You know, there's a person meets you at the customs and gets you through quickly, so you don't have to stand in the line for 45 minutes. All of these are things that if, you know, somebody wants sort of the, for lack of a better term, the sort of all-inclusive approach to it, we can do that. We've got that set up. But at the same time, if somebody says, look, I want to find my own Airbnb and get my own way, that's great too. It's, you can choose either direction. Um, and, And I've seen both. I've seen patients that have both interests. Some are like very much, you know, I'm the... The deal finder. I'm going to go online and you know arrange everything myself. And you know what we have found is that a lot of people prefer to book their own airfare, mainly because of air miles and and travel times and personal schedules. That's just almost universally patients want to take care of that themselves. Um, so we don't really. Uh, get much into offering airline packages because there's so many different routes there. Um, but hotels, uh, everyone's always looking for you know what's the most best quality, most affordable option for the hotel, and um, and then how do I get around the island? You know, is it cab, is a bus, is a rental car or whatnot, and so. We found that the hotel, the the car rental, and the expedited customs are the sort of three key ones that people wanted. But we also have arrangements with like acupuncturists on island that do really great fertility acupuncture because I've had many, many patients over the years as being sort of a holistic provider myself where really most of my patients are at least open to doing acupuncture prior to or during their cycle. And I don't want that care to be compromised either. When they arrive on island, they can continue their their holistic care. We have arrangements with um, you know, massage and spa places to, to kind of get you to unwind when you're on vacation. And we also have some activities to explore the island for those who want to really say, you know, look, I'm making a vacation out of this. Yeah, I'm coming down to freeze my eggs, but I also want to swim with the stingrays or go out on the catamaran. So we've arranged, you know, packages that can help make that a little bit more affordable, and also, quite honestly, for us, it gives us the opportunity to see. You know, we want people to see, you know, the best parts of our island and to really enjoy the experience. And uh, heaven forbid they get, yeah, you know, they book an event that wasn't what they expected, and that reflects badly on the whole place. So.
2: Maybe this is a silly question, but I asked the same one to Lori a few weeks ago when she was talking about international patients on the show. But because people are traveling so long distance and you're the only one that they might know or have any kind of emotional connection to you or your team. Do you ever encounter an expectation of so Joe, we wrap that up and I got five more days before transfer. Uh, what are you up to? Is there ever an expectation
0: that you or members of your team are to spend more time with folks? Not that I've seen, I mean I, I can imagine there are there's always going to be people. I mean, I don't at all, you know, take offense if someone is this way because I had these patients all the time that they they feel like they're really really connected you know you spend a lot of time caring with them you know working through difficult experiences you know especially loss or, or challenges during their cycle, that you do kind of develop that bond. But I think, you know, as always, we, we're professionals and we say, like, you know, this is this is what we're here to help you with is your, your medical care. And we can give you some idea of places that you might want to go, you know, to explore the island. But uh, I've not had anyone directly ask me to like, you know, hang out with me after, after their egg retrieval. But, but I've had people that they tend to to want to spend more time in the office than you would think they need to. But it's, that's, I take that as a compliment that they, they feel comfortable with us and they're happy with the care that they're getting and, the, and, and our staff. So that, I don't see that as a bad thing, but I can see what you're saying.
2: So between training and practice you have seen a few different areas of the United States, including the Midwest, Should we call the Mid-Atlantic, New York, which is its own animal, and now the Cayman Islands. Am I missing any others in, in REI? or uh, Maybe we go back even further, but among those, and this is, of course, speaking in very broad strokes and generalities, do you notice differences in, I guess, patient expectation, I guess, what I'm looking for is what ultimately becomes the, the
0: patient-physician relationship. What what can you speak to about those? Absolutely. I think, you know, it, it's a really... Uh, to me, it's always been sort of a very obvious that every every part of the country, every practice I've been in has a very different sort of local theme, if you are not theme, but local sort of vibe. You know, and I see this surprisingly in different ways. Like I would say that I'm always expecting it to be a bit different everywhere, but the way it's different always kind of surprises me. And, and it's exciting... You know, in the Midwest, I, I practiced in two different places in the Midwest, one in a little bit of a larger city, one in a smaller city. And, you know, there's very much like everyone in the community grew up together. So there's a lot of sort of connection and everyone goes to the same stores and the same, you know, many people work at the same businesses. And that especially played into, you know, if you have insurance coverage through your employer, if there's an employer that's really pro-family. And and uh, we would have a lot of patients from the same employer. So they all work together. They all know each other. And that's kind of encouraging too. I, but yet I've been in the exact opposite situation where people don't want their coworkers to know. And honestly, that's one of the things I've noticed most in Cayman is that it's a very small local community. It's a very small island. And so a lot of patients, there's not a lot of openness to talk about your fertility. And, and that's just a cultural aspect. And so it's a group of people that are very much not open to sharing their stories or sharing their experiences. Whereas, you know, I've been in other places where it's almost like everybody wants to tell all their friends about the great experience that that they had and, you know, and have their mom come with them to their appointment. It's very much a different sort of environment. So, so yeah, it's, it's all different types. I also find that the type of the, the reason for infertility varies somewhat regionally and that's always interesting as well. And you know, I don't have proper sociologic data on that, but it does seem like there are certain parts of the country that have an overabundance of one type of infertility diagnosis, if you will. And of course not universally, but there tends to be clusters. I'm sure it, it ties into all different aspects of nutrition and wellness and access to health care and and also, you know, the sort of the structure of the society. If you you know, work long hours and you're you're expected to build a career, then you're going to delay pregnancy later. And so we're going to see an, an overabundance of diminished ovarian reserve or even male factor for older gentlemen and versus other parts of the country i have worked where the expectation is you have children in your 20s. And so people are seeking fertility care younger and younger because they only have two kids and they want five. And, you know, so it it's very interesting. And it's always, a I think, a really nice way to kind of get to know a community is by sort of learning about what their their nuances or what their differences are.
2: So for those that might be considering pursuing treatment abroad, what do you often find is, do they have a hang up? Is there something that, are there a common two or three concerns that they often have before they decide to go see a specialist abroad?
0: Yeah, I would say that, you know, one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people in looking to go abroad is, you know, not feeling completely certain that, what they're seeing either online or through the the communications is exactly what they're going to get. So, you know, for me personally, I know I, I like to do video consults with patients so they can see my face, so they can hear my voice and they know... I'm a real person. And, you know, for there is a, an ups, uptick or an upsurge in people traveling for fertility care for lots of different reasons globally and into the US as well as out a lot of the other locations around the world that they tend to be further. So one of the other challenges is time zones, you know, people traveling across multiple time zones. And, and that affects, of course, when you're taking your medications and so forth, but also uh, language, you know, there are larger practices in a couple places in the world that, the primary language is not English. And as a patient, that might be a big concern for you. As I'm signing consent forms, I'm agreeing to you know use my eggs and sperm in this person's lab, and they don't speak my language natively. They, they have a translator. And those can be huge stressors and huge barriers for people. And then, of course, the other side is cost. A lot of people do look at going abroad for fertility because it is more affordable. But that doesn't always mean you know best quality. Some people may see a really affordable IVF center... But in reality, they're affordable because they're not necessarily going by the rules and they're they're cutting corners to make it cheaper. And having a, you know, a, a top-notch New York style practice in another country, I get asked that question a lot, is like your prices are very reasonable. What are you not doing that I should be looking out for? What are the how are you, you know, basically sort of questioning the the quality? And and I, I always value those questions because it it really gives us an opportunity to have an open conversation. But You know, those are the questions that I think most people have struggled with is, is can I get there? am I going to understand what's going on? Why is it so affordable? Does that mean that there's, it's not good quality? And the other big question is, I'm going to leave potentially frozen embryos, frozen eggs, or frozen sperm in someone's lab somewhere in the world. You know, how safe is that? How likely is it that they'll be there in a few years? Or is this, you know, practice going to close up shop? Same questions arise in the U.S. too, but it feels different when the practice is down the street versus, you know, four or five time zones away or, or in an island.
2: So. Was that a learning curve? Are there different laws of parentage, of gestational carriers, of donor gametes? Was that a learning curve of, of discovering what that all is in the Cayman Islands and how it applies to people who are coming from different states, different provinces, different countries, and all kinds of different jurisdictions?
0: absolutely you know and one of the things that to me there was a lot of learning of of starting a new practice for a field of medicine that didn't exist in a country before that was a big learning curve and a lot of it was is that there isn't any legal precedent for a lot of these questions you know within the US we have a lot of variation state to state which makes it challenging for patients who are trying to sort of navigate these different laws but in Cayman they've never been asked these questions before so when we initially started the practice, you know we, we of course went through all the proper channels to get you know the licensure and get the approvals through the Ministry of Health. And the questions that I was asked always kind of surprised me because there were sort of things that I would have I feel like as an American fertility specialist are are kind of already answered questions about the field, but they were very sort of clearly questions coming from a place of concern on one part by the politicians, but on another level of not fully understanding what, Fertility care entails, and and how that doesn't necessarily you know relate to you know becoming a citizen of the country you know and things like that. So most of those questions and and concerns revolve around donor uh, either donor egg, donor sperm, donor embryo. Gestational care is one of those things. We're in the Caribbean. There's not a lot of support for it. There's many countries actually prohibit it. Cayman does not currently have laws one way or the other about it, but. It, there's also a big cultural sort of question about that, and I know I mean within the u s as well gestational surrogacy is a huge topic that varies so much by state to state, and you know that that causes a lot of legal questions that arise of patients that travel across borders.
2: I wouldn't have considered that, but that does make sense that fertility treatment at large is something that you have to educate about. If we asked most laypeople in the United States what an r e i was they wouldn't know, and if we asked them what a fertility doctor is, most of them would think that their OBGYN is a fertility doctor or that OBGYNs are fertility specialists when they need to be and wouldn't even know anything about the subspecialty. So having to educate to bring that to a country that includes politicians and lawmakers and almost starting from a base in that sense... That that makes sense. It's not something I would have considered.
0: Well, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I think fortunately I've had a lot of diverse experiences that maybe prepared me a bit more for it. I mean, even the work with resolve and advocacy day, you know, there are a lot of elected officials in the U S that truthfully, it's not their specialty. They don't fully understand it. So their questions are phrased in a way that you have to kind of give them the background and, and also in a very polite, respectful way to say, you know, Um, I think what you're asking is this, but let me kind of give you some context. Otherwise, you know, you don't want to don't want to set off sort of an antagonistic relationship with somebody because they don't fully understand. But at the same time, you need them to understand. And, you know, and also I found that with even with some of the medical professionals, they're in a small place where particular aspect of care hasn't been available they may have over the years modified their procedures and treatments because the the lack of resources was such a huge issue. So, you know, and from a fertility standpoint, there were a lot of people doing, you know, laparoscopies or surgeries for fertility because the alternative was the patient had to leave the country and get IVF. And now that I'm on an island and have talked with a lot of them, they're like, oh, thank goodness, we no longer have to kind of do these other options that really aren't first line anymore and we know they're not first line but we we were kind of in a bind where this was what was readily available to us and and the most cost-effective approach for the patient and they're being you know cognizant of the patient's concerns too so so it is it's a very interesting educational experience for all of us myself included and and i still get questions you know daily from people in the community saying like so you like actually do fertility like here, right? You're not just like talking to people and sending me to Miami. I was like, no, 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 we're actually here. We have a full fledged IVF center with PGT and and everything else we could do everything you could do in the States. And it's like such a sigh of relief. They're like, oh my goodness. Cause I've read online about all this stuff and all these things I have to do. And it's, it's so nice to know that it's here available. To
2: me. Oh, You don't have a crystal ball of your own life of where you're going to be doing that education, but do you see yourself staying put in in Cayman Islands for a little bit? Do you see yourself moving to the next place that also needs access to care and opening up a center there and then the next one after that? And. And moving on where, where do you think life leads Joe Davis in the next 10 years
0: yeah I mean it's it's always a, an evolving thing you know I would say that uh, I mean the common thread for me always has been access to care and education and you know being able to help people take res- take ownership of their own sort of fertility journey and I think the first step in that is always learning you know and learning what you need to do and where you are and there's always going to be areas of the world, of the US, of the Caribbean, that um, there's just a lack of understanding and education. And I saw that when I was at World Health Organization. There's so many parts of the world that just... It's the basic understanding that we need to start with. We don't necessarily need an IVF center in you know XYZ region of the world, but we definitely need trained professionals or at least access to good, reliable content and information that can help them understand the fertility. So... Wherever that leads me, whether it's continuing this journey to, to start new IVF centers in areas that could benefit or if it's, you know, incorporating more education, broader education, I think um, a little bit of everything.
2: Dr. Joe Davis, what haven't I asked you that you would want to conclude that our listening audience consider about regional and international differences in access to care?
0: Um, you know, I, I'd say the the big thing, and and this kind of ties, I think, a bit back into sort of some of the the reasons that people consider going abroad for care. And, and this is globally; this is not just you know people coming to Cayman from the Caribbean from the from the US. Is is really about getting the quality of care and the access that you want, and that may be going to a place that. You feel listened to. You feel supported by your provider, and having that connection with the provider, um, as well as the quality. But for a lot of people, too, it's also about any kind of regional or local barriers to their particular situation. And I see this a lot with, um, you know, in certain countries, access to care is extremely limited by sexual orientation or gender identity, or or even marital status, relationship status, and patients will will go through great lengths to be able to get care that seemingly should be available everywhere, but in their country is is restricted or in their state is restricted. And so I guess I would leave people with the idea of looking outside of your direct immediate sphere is never a bad idea, but always, of course, go into it with the same expectations that you would get anywhere. You want the quality, you want the connection, you want the understanding, but you also need the equality and access that, that we expect everyone should have.
2: Dr. Davis, Joe?